I'm Pete Insoll. I'm the Principal Historic Environment Officer for Bristol City Council. I have the responsibility for looking after the city's heritage. Archaeology, listed buildings, conservation areas, but also all the intangible heritage, the stories that people have, the memories they have of the places where they've lived, where they've grown up, where they went to school, where they went to work. It's what brings a sense of place. The intangible heritage of Bristol gives us a way of seeing the past, but also understanding the city we're in today. The St Philip's Marsh project was all about trying to get under the skin of that neighbourhood. Well, it started off with the fact that we wanted to do a project that was about the story of a place, one of these edgeland places, a forgotten part of the city in many ways. I was working with my colleague, Nat Roberton, who shares an interest in these types of places that have seen lots and lots of change. But when you scratch the surface, you can start to reveal a different side of the neighbourhood that an outsider might not be aware of. We did lots of walking around Simplice Marsh with a recorder, and whenever we could, we got talking to people. Great. If you could say who you are and what company it is. Hi, my name's Gemma. Um, I'm Did you see my name? Yeah, where, where, um, where my we name's are. Heidi. To this place. John and Elaine Shaw, 33 Feeder Road. These places, these spaces are really important in terms of how cities function and they tend to be overlooked. And we we're quite keen to reveal, I guess, the story of St Philip's as it is now and as it has been in the past as well, because it's got a really rich history. Everywhere has a story to tell. Everywhere has heritage. And because we live with this stuff all the time, we're blind to it. And once you start to see these places the way they are now and link it back to the past, it helps you make that link to the future about what the potential of these places will be. And I work in the planning department. Part of my role is looking after these things for future generations. And so what I want to ensure is that when we make decisions about that future city, that we're doing it from an informed position. We need to speak to the people who know those places the best, those people who live in those places, who have worked in those places, who've grown up in those places. They understand their neighbourhoods better than any planner, than any designer, than any archaeologist. They are the ones who will help us make those informed decisions to create better places in the future. My name is Roger Packer. I was born in St Philip's Marsh in 1941 and I lived there until the age of 14. As well as doing our own recordings, we were given access to previous interviews with people who used to live on the marsh. And once you hear those recordings, you get a whole different insight into that history of the marsh, something that's been completely lost. And there are certain aspects on the marsh which there is no physical evidence surviving. And it's only through these stories do we actually see a whole different side to St Philip's Marsh. As a young lad, we had what we called the piggery, pens for cattle on the side of the railway of St Philip's Marsh, Indian Shed. Now, every Tuesday, cattle would be offloaded from the trucks into these cattle pens. 
from a Tuesday up to a Thursday, those pens would be full of animals ready to go to the slaughterhouse or to be sold on. At the age of seven or eight, when the pens were full and when our milk bottle was empty, I used to take the milk bottle, I'd take it up to the piggery, milking the cow and taking it back to me mum. And I always remember, she said, I'm not having that. And I felt so proud to think I got her a pint of milk. And she threw it away. As I was a young lad, the cow was separated from the bull. And I always remember it. We opened the gate and let the bull in with the cows. And it was havoc. They were going round and round in circles. All of a sudden, the chap who was in charge of all the cattle up there, seeing what we were doing, shouted at us, chased us, could catch us. What happened after, I don't know. But that was another side of what we used to get up to in the marsh. The piggery had shut down in the late 50s. So everything changed. When Roger Packer describes the piggery on the marsh, he's talking about a time that this was a residential area. This was a working class neighborhood. Simon Holmes is the head teacher at the school. Historically, it's been a housing area. It's a poor area back in the 1920s and 30s and 40s and 50s, but the community support was the spirit of the marsh, as they call it. My name's Brian Davis. I lived in a, a street called Grafton Street. It had 25 houses on one side and 25 terraced houses on the other, and we lived right at the top with my mother, father, and 10 boys. We lived top to tail, so three people sat at one end of the bed and three people sat at the other. And the youngest two, for years, slept with my mother and father. And we often wondered how they ever made any children, but we realized it was to do with Sunday school. And uh, my dad died when I was seven. Um, my mother was left with 10 boys, from 18 down to a baby in arms. With the whole street wondering how she was going to manage. And uh, she did. A lot of people, they didn't have a bathroom. The loo was down the backyard. When I first went to Allen's, when we started courting, I needed the loo. The loo was out the back and of course it was dark in winter and I was scared stiff because going out there in the dark, you know, but you wouldn't have that now. I mean, a lot of people said, oh, Marsh, you know, me and all that. No, it wasn't. I mean, they never would see it now. People out on the front pavement scrubbing the pavement, which they used to do years ago. There was no hassle, no quarrels, no rows or anything like that. If anyone was ill, there was always somebody to help. If anybody passed away, there was always somebody there to play them and all that kind of thing, or anybody had a baby. Everybody sort of mucked in together. That was Jada Smaldridge, who lived on the marsh for many years. Everyone practically knew one another. All those 6,000 people once lived down in this area. Everything you'd done down the marsh was done by a group of people, whether it was street parties, coach outings. Nobody was no different because no one had no more than the next person. We were all equal in a way. 
it was special growing up there because nobody had much money and nobody boasted. And you never really went out the area. You went to the schools, you went to the pubs. We had a great boys club in there. There was lots of boys clubs where we all went. There is pride in living and working in the marsh. And I think it's a unique environment. It was a special place. <laughs> that vibrant community started to change after the war because the planning designation for the area changed. The council started to encourage light industry to develop on the marsh and the marsh became less about where people lived and more about where people worked. When you walk around the marsh, you get to see a new community of small businesses that only become visible when you actually knock on the door and start speaking to the people who are working you realise there is more to this place than the car showroom, than the scrapyard, than the recycling centre. There's a whole ecosystem there that is only revealed once you start having those conversations. My name's Gemma, I'm from Blindale Coffee Co. We have been in St Philip's Marsh for about two years now. We originally moved here purely just to roast, but we thought that the best way to probably get to know the neighbours um, was to actually sell hot coffee as well. Um, it meant that we were really able to get in touch with the, the people around us. Like there's so many uh, brewers around here, there's even more coffee roasters, and there's so many people that are um, really doing something really special and beneficial to the community. Just sort of see all of us grow together, it's fantastic. Um, my name is Heidi and I work for Styles Ahead on Feeder Road. We're a hair replacement company. The majority of our clients is actually, believe it or not, men have lost their hair. And then we also have cancer patients that come in as well, so we help them, which generally tends to be the ladies. If you walk down the street, you wouldn't even know that they had a piece on. What is really lovely about the building that we're in and the road that we're on is that you can really feel the history. So when we first signed the lease, I remember sitting in an empty shop and it was covered in clay, it used to be a pottery shop. And to, to see how much we've developed it in the last couple of years, it really made me think about how much that building has probably been through. <laughs> it was a tattoo parlor at one point and even that they used to make um, sculptures and things like that in there as well. John and Elaine Shaw knew the previous tenants next door. Next door, which is now the Blind Owl, that's had a, a, a few different tenants in there. Brian. Alan Brian Rawlins. Rawlins. Rawlins Design. He produced precast objects, including the Golden Eagle for Eagle Star, which he made in three parts, two wings and a body. And he also did false beams for pubs and restaurants, one in which was 40 feet long, which was from the top of his garden, through a hatch in the back wall, through the living room, and then took the front window out to get it out originally. It was a massive piece of kit, it was. I hope that people do kind of value this part of Bristol as being 
a massive part of independent business in Bristol. I think that it's it's a little bit overlooked and it has been for a while, I think. When you start to explore the place, I, I was amazed by what we discovered when we were just walking about in yeah. terms of almost history repeating itself in terms of those little cottage industries hidden behind those facades of these sheds. We're in the planning department, so when we talk about planning, we talk about these streets and buildings and things. Well, actually, what we should be talking about is the people that, 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 that make these places what they are. Yeah. And those people then make the businesses, but they also have these lives here. And so much of the now, Marsh of today, is is about all those little businesses and there are just loads of businesses. You know, life in a city is creative and it's got an incredible tenacity and ability to kind of fill the niches and I think that's what we're seeing in places like St Phillips Marsh. You see it in every city where there's cheap space you see these creative and surprising uses springing up that are really valuable. The marsh doesn't feature large in people's picture of the city and for that very reason I would say economically it's attractive to smaller um, businesses because maybe they can find cheaper space to operate and I guess we were interested in that because there is a risk I think in, in city development that those spaces are lost in some way. I mean if you contrast the marsh with say higher value um, redevelopments happen in the city where you get you know ground floor um, shop units that, that stand empty for sometimes years because the rents are so high there is a balance to be found in, in Bristol. Where do we provide space for smaller businesses that need cheaper rent? And one of the risks here in St Phillips is the fact that the council are in the process of changing the designation, the policy, the planning designation for this area. At the moment it's designated as primarily employment use. So that's why you have all these sheds with people working in there at the moment and as you start to shift that you could get developers then seizing the opportunity to introduce new uses that aren't necessarily complementary to the existing uses on the marsh and therefore threaten the existing uses on the marsh. Planning policy is a very blunt instrument there's no mm. there's no kind of nuance in there. Yeah I think planning policy it's very much future-facing. It's predicated on that idea of, of development. Often it's the present and the immediate past that, that is missing. And it's, it's often in those spaces the, that a lot of the important activity is going on that could get lost if it's, not, if it's not in some way recorded or given value. It seems to me that quite often there is this blind spot of, say, a 30 to 40-year period surrounding the present. One thing that defines St Phillips Marsh and its community today is that there's been lots of businesses serving other businesses on the marsh, creating their own community. Many of the customers in the Fox, many of the shop's customers are the small businesses that are operating around the corner. There was Bailey's Cafe, Double Juice, Fruit and Veg, Ron Shepherd's, groceries and all that, then our shop, and then there was a little butcher's next door. And then in the corner, the Forester's Arms, it used to be a pub. Jada Smaldridge and her late husband, Alan, ran a shop for 45 years. Mornings, I was up about half past five till about eight o'clock on the night. In those days, 
we have all the papers. You have the morning post, the midday, the afternoon post, and then the evening one, which Alan had to deliver. And I had to serve in the shop. Sweets. We had all the nice jars of sweets. And cigarettes, of course. Books. You know, everything. I do miss all the, the fun. Oh, honestly. <laughs> Apparently, I could talk for England. John and Elaine Shaw, 33 Feeder Road. How long have we been here, Elaine? About 1986. 1986. Tobacconist General Groceries. 18 feet by 10. <laughs> this little rank was the dominant area for workers' convenience, pies and pasties and newspapers and such like. It was built just at the turn of the century, so our place is now 121 years old, if you like, only ever having two occupiers. I don't think that happens very often. There was <coughs> a fair bit of passing trade. You always get passing trade because it's Feeder Road. But yeah, mainly the post office and all the businesses in the area, yeah, the workforce. The post office is a sorting office. I can remember that when that was going full pelt. And Joe, the postmaster, used to come in the shop every day. He was a nice chap. My wife and her father ran the shop on their own anyway. I, I went out to work. I worked for a company about 100 yards away, commercial spares on Albert Road. But then the post office moved out and it kind of slowed down a bit. We decided in 19, 1999 that uh, it was no longer viable as a little shop and we closed. St Philip's Marsh has seen many changes and what is certain that it's going to see many more. We get rumours every now and again as that we're going to be compulsory purchased and moved on. But but what will be, will be. We're quite happy here and the wooden box I think will be the next move. <laughs> the marsh is on the cusp of a new era of its history. What that history looks like, we don't know yet. But what we can expect is that more people will be living on the marsh. One of the things about planning is it tends to be very black and white. It's either industrial or it's residential. What we were trying to do with our project on St Philip's Marsh was to have consideration for the existing residents, the existing businesses on the marsh, so they could become embedded within that process of change. So we worked with the Letterpress Collective from Centre Space to help us celebrate the existing businesses. So my name is Nick Hand and I work with Ellen Bills, who is a, also a Letterpress printer. Letterpress printing is the form of printing which um, Guttenberg invented in 1450. So his invention was um, casting lead type and then you could lock them together and re you know the key thing is reusing them but it also meant you could print in quantities. Ellen and I are both Bristolians and we've got a real interest in the city and the past. And Bristol was a a big printing city it had tens of thousands of people working in letterpress so you know newspapers but also things like the chocolate industry so fries were the first confectionery manufacturer to make their own packaging and obviously cigarette packaging but also cigarette cards which i really love we were very keen on making this connection between old and new 
So we asked Letterpress Collective to print posters of all the current businesses using the old Victorian presses to create this visual display on a billboard on Feeder Road. We could make those small businesses on the marsh more visible. Leading into this project, there's obviously a lot of photographs of uh, Victorian Bristol and we've got notice that there were buildings that were just covered in, I guess it was fly posting at the time, soaps or tea or tobacco. So we, we've kind of had that in mind and then St Philip's Marsh tradition it's quite industrial area so to put those things together it was just a really lovely challenge and it was very playful in a way linking the past with the present what was interesting in the in the project from my perspective was when you see those victorian photographs when you see mm. that that bit building covered in posters they all look unique mm. and the approach here at St Philip's Marsh the mm. captured that same thing so when you look at that hoarding each one is individual which is yes. interesting well, I suppose we tried to look at the business and we were able to use some of the sort of funny old blocks that we have. A, when you do an image in letterpress, you have to get a block etched or you can cut it in wood or you can cut it in liner. So we have this sort of quite a big collection. The one that comes to mind was the um, the scrap people. So we were able to use blocks of 1930s cars or an old typewriter block. What size paper was it? Well, it, they're 40 by 60 centimetres, and that's the biggest sheet we can get on our um, proofing press. So we were a bit limited by that. But actually, you know, again, as a Victorian printer would have been limited by the size of the bed of their press, again, it was quite an authentic way of producing them. And they're still legible. In fact, I went to Blind Owl, who were one of the businesses on one of the posters, mm. and Gemma, who we interviewed, mm from her doorway when you were putting them up mm. she could see her business advertised 50 yards away something mm. like that maybe further yeah well that's interesting because a hundred years ago and the physicality of the type meant that the letter spacing is defined by the size of the block of that the type is on and and they they were designed really carefully and it reads really well whereas as soon as you digitize it all that goes out the window and it becomes less legible. Back on the marsh, at the end of the project, Nat and I reflected on what we'd learned and what planning needed to consider when it's making decisions about places for the future. I think uh, what we've come to kind of realise through working in St Philip's Marsh. It's an idea of the sort of social economic ecology of a place. So if we were looking at a, a site eco in its ecological terms, we'd be looking at what already exists there, how those systems work, what we can do to support those so they're not lost. I mean, just from a you know, day-to-day -day level, styles ahead, go for their lunches at the Fox yeah. Cafe. You know, so it's those sorts of things that kind of, they are here, because of these other bits and pieces that are here as well. And so you, you grow the area because of all these, these, these connections. If there's some way in which the stories we collect about the people who work here now can then have even a small influence on some decision-making that happens around mm. this place, I think there'd be, there's obviously benefit in that. It's not just the bricks and mortar that make a place, it's actually the people. That's what makes the, gives this place an identity. And it's not about, oh, can you see the suspension bridge from here? Or can you see Simon Redcliffe from here? It is more about 
the activities that are going on here. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the idea of the hoarding. Mm. When people stop to look at it, and they start to realise actually these are existing businesses. This is not the past. This is actually the present, and this is the sort of stuff that is now of value on the marsh. And that's that was the idea behind the hoarding. And it's mm. it does well. I think it looks really yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It's important the community has the last word in planning for the future. We've got to retain at all costs parts of the old marsh. I don't know what the future for St Philip's Marsh is really, but I'd love to see a residential area again. So I would love to see the housing come back to the marsh. I could pretty well tell you every lad that lives in the marsh. So I challenge the next generation to build houses that people will know everybody in that area.